2: Hello and welcome to All Stats Up, we're a podcast in which Leeds fans cast their combined eye over goings on Ellen Drode, giving scrutiny to the underlying statistics and tactical footings at work at Leeds United. I'm John McKenzie, the back-to-earth with a bump of the podcast. It was nice while well, it lasted. And I'm joined by the Jose Mourinho-shaped hole of the podcast, Tom Alderson. Can we avoid speaking about him? Who knows? And finally, the silly season of the podcast. The rumours are flying again. It's Tom Woodhead. Tom, how are you doing?
1: I'm not too bad um I think I'd actually rather be the silly season than be described as an actual hole so
2: (laughs) (laughs) and a Jose Mourinho shaped hole at that
1: well yeah I mean uh yeah would it be the late period shaven head Jose Mourinho or the early suave suited Jose Mourinho we'll never know
2: (laughs) and
0: Tom Alderson how are you doing I'm I'm pretty good at because I'm I think I'm one of the few Leeds fans that didn't actually watch the Brighton game on Saturday. So I'm still feeling pretty positive. I can just ignore it and pretend it never happened. Mm-hmm. So um, I was actually out d- day drinking in Leeds and had a, probably a, a much nicer time. I was going to watch the game back when I got home as well. And I just I looked at Twitter. I was like, nah, fuck that. Not doing that.
2: <laughs> There's so many people who said to me, oh, could you send me a copy of the game when we're done? Um, because I'd, I'm not able to watch it today. I think a lot of people were doing similar things. And uh, a lot of them just got in touch with me and were like, yeah, don't bother. Don't (laughs) don't want to rewatch that. I've got news written on the running order, but I don't really think there's any news other than transfer rumor news. And uh, we're talking about transfer stuff tomorrow on Author's List. So if any of you are at a loose end at 8 p.m. tomorrow, Josh did put out a tweet yesterday saying 9 p.m., but it is, in fact, 8 p.m. So if you are uh, at a loose end at 8 p.m. tomorrow and you want to have a listen to some Q&A's about the the series we've just run and I think we'll be talking about some of the players we've been linked to as well before we get to those questions so if that sounds interesting to you head over to our YouTube channel or it should be on Periscope on our Twitter account as well. Um, If you can't make 8pm don't worry we will be putting out a podcast version of that as well or you can re-watch it on YouTube as well. Right, with all of that out of the way, we should talk a little bit about Spurs. So this week I was lucky enough to talk to Nathan Clark, podcast host of The Extra Inch, and this is what he had to say about Spurs. So Nathan, hi, how are you doing?
3: Not bad, not bad. Yourself?
2: Yeah, I'm doing well. It's been a fun few weeks for Spurs fans, um, which began with, I suppose it sort of semi-began with Jose Mourinho leaving, uh, but not content to make his leaving Spurs be the biggest news he has announced this morning. It will be joining Roma to go and ruin another club. So how how are you feeling about that news now that's come out?
3: I am feeling humoured about that news. Um, I don't know, I mean, like as much uh, as much negative coverage as I've given and will continue to give Jose Mourinho, I don't think it's like impossible that he could possibly get anything good out of like a high level club. Um, the tropes about A are obviously overplayed as to how defensive it is but I do think there's a degree to which it does suit him a little bit um, better than the Premier League but um, I don't know and, and poor poor Chris Smalling uh, poor Henry <laughs> McInerney but yeah and of course from a Spurs perspective the other thing is that like we we waited until we dropped to 7th place so that his compensation would be small Um and then he's just gone and joined another club after a couple of weeks anyway, which means that we were we were wasting our time worrying that we could detect him sooner. Because, I mean, it's completely unsurprising. Of course, he's just immediately, well, actually, no, immediately signed a big media deal with TalkSport on the Sun. <laughs> and then, imme- like, two days later, left that <laughs> to, to go join, <laughs> you know, another European competing club. So... Um, I don't know, it's all very silly. It's the silly world of Jose Mourinho, and um it's much more fun to look at from a bigger distance.
2: I'm led to believe that this means that Spurs won't have to pay more compensation anyway, right? The fact that he's got a contract straight away, is that right?
3: Well yeah, exactly. So I think the conversation ends now. So like <laughs> we might as well have just sacked him. You know, <laughs> several weeks prior, had a few more weeks of Mason going into the cup final or whatever, and, and upset some players a little less. But, but you never know.
2: I guess the club will be surprised that he was picked up so readily. I mean, I guess it it, it feels as though it's been a long downward spiral from Jose. Um, so maybe they weren't quite so sure that he was going to get picked up as easily as he ended up getting picked up. But um, yeah, it's good to see that that Spurs are going to get away with that one. Let's talk about the, the sort of end of the season because as you've said you know Ryan Mason didn't really get a huge amount of time to prep for the, for the final which wasn't ideal. Obviously Manchester City one of the best clubs in the world so uh, that was a bit of a hiding to nothing really for him but how are you viewing the end of the season from here is it just a chance do you think for, for yourself the fans the players to enjoy a bit of Jose decompression or do you think there's actually anything important that can come from the next few games?
3: Well, I think top four is possible. I, I definitely wouldn't rule it out. I think that that is the main thing. You're right. The main thing is like he's gone now and we can like all come together and heal and we get to see Delhi play and we get to see Bale have a, a run of games. And like if you perform badly in one game, that's OK. You <laughs> you aren't like ostracized from the from the squad for 10 weeks. Um So, yeah, I think it's um and the other thing and I did did tweet about this slightly reluctantly but like even under you know ryan mason who's only coaching experience is at academy level although i haven't said that chris powell is on the scene and i think that he's probably like co-manager really and is is getting under named by us and and bigger media too but i think that like despite the lack of top level coaching experience between those two um we're demonstrating that this is a squad who are capable of like you know holding onto the ball for a while of creating chances from possession of pressing the opposition high. Okay. Not to an incredible level. And you're not going to get that even from a very good coach, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks. Um, but just showing that there is some of that, that we were able to outplay Sheffield United and okay, Sheffield United, only Sheffield United. Um, but they're still a premier league side and demonstrating that we're capable of, of dominating other premier league sides, contrary to the narrative that was existing, um, for the last several months that means a lot and I think it makes us much more positive um, going into next season and makes it much more optimistic with regards to who who um, we can bring in as manager because there's no like oh we can't play you know modern football we can't get a modern manager because the squad is so trash kind of thing and all of that melts away so um, yeah I, I think I do think that top four is possible I do think that having Champions League football would be a big help um, for next season but I also think that um that the main thing is like remembering that we're like a decent side with a pretty decent squad with a couple of issues in it
2: yeah you mentioned european competition there is a chance of champions league football obviously but i know that you've not enjoyed europa league in the past and uh, (sighs) maybe that was colored by jose Mourinho in the in this (laughs) season but how are you feeling about next season should you end up in a in a sort of europa league spot by the end of the the end of the competition,
3: I'm not a fan of the Europa League. Um, I I mean, I, I, as a, again with some distance, uh, it can be interesting seeing some like you know quirky sides in the knockout stages. But as a Spurs fan, I don't particularly enjoy Spurs being in Europa League. Having said that, I think that if you think back to, um, Portugal's first couple of seasons, especially his first season, and and Europa League for. Like the beginning of a project manager's run Europa League can be pretty helpful because you've got a bunch of group stage games um, in which you can play your second choice players, play your new signings play your youth players and and get them some game time there so if it's Europa League next season it's probably not a terrible fit.
2: I'm sure you're getting inundated with questions like this but do you have any ideas who the next manager of Spurs is going to be?
3: Well it's probably not going to be Ten Hag (laughs) Um, it's probably not going to be Nagelsmann (laughs) Um, it's it's definitely not going to be Joseph Munio. I guess Graham Potter is probably the favourite at the moment I think that the club fancy Brendan Rodgers but Brendan Rodgers doesn't fancy leaving Leicester and and perhaps we need to get over that and move on I don't think it's going to be Rangnick because there's just a big clash of personality between Levy and him Um, so I don't know for for me from a distance um, Graham Potter is sat there as a as an option fancied by people in the club as someone who doesn't have you know anything better to do with all respect to Brighton um so I think that's probably my guess is the most likely and also probably my preferred pick of what's possible
2: yeah, it's probably not the best thing to talk to uh, Leeds fans about at the moment, the the managerial capabilities of Graham Potter uh, given that he has summarily dismissed us in two occasions this season. Uh, but I think he would be a great great option for you guys. Um from Graham Potter to another manager, um Ryan Mason. What have you made of Ryan Mason so far given obviously the caveats regarding sample sizes? <laughs>
3: Well, yeah. Well, it's like I was saying earlier, you know, he's got us remembering that we can possess the ball, that we can knit moves together, that we can play creative players at the same time, that we can um, forgive a player of a bad performance or a bad moment or a bad decision and then carry on making use of their talents, um, that we can press the opposition high without looking absolutely exhausted Um, That we don't have to sit on the edge of our own box and eventually one of the defenders misses a header and we concede and that isn't like you don't need to be absolutely perfect as a centre-back to be capable of playing in the Premier League because your team can help you out by having the ball and defending that way. Um, So he's done a lot for us um, without necessarily... Uh, I mean, no, I, I, I don't mind calling it like good work. I don't mind calling it impressive work because he has, okay, it looks like very sort of basic we're going to play proactive football stuff. Like, here's how you, um, you know, forming triangles, getting the basics down that way and, and, and pressing high in a sort of fairly rough but functional way. Um, so I do think he's done a decent job there. Um, in terms of, like, long-term, like, I'm not going to put, like, a contract down for him. I think that, like... Um, and again, it comes down to like I don't know how much Powell is doing, and how much Ryan Mason is just like the friendly Spurs-friendly face, <laughs> you know, um, in front of that. But I, I would like for him to either return to academy level for a couple more years, or to go like manage a championship team, and and he's a he's a prospective future manager that we keep an eye on um, as he gets some some more experience at a lower level. Um, but I, I mean, the the only thing. Other, than, well, the League Cup final, we didn't just lose, but we also approached pretty annoyingly. Um, but then I guess that is just sort of what playing City is like to a degree, so I'm not too upset with that. The frustration point, and we are literally talking about two games, is the lack of Tanky and Um But again, it's it's whatever because Mason's not going to be here next season, so we don't have to worry about like his future too much. He's just not currently fancied by Ryan Mason, who's otherwise made the decisions that I would have made.
2: So at this point in the interview, I usually ask what you made of the last game between these two sides. Obviously, this weekend's prospect is going to be quite different to the last time we played um, when you eased past us 3-0. How do you feel about the prospect of Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds United this time around?
3: I think it's a slightly more scary one than last time. Um, again, for all of the negative things I've said about Mourinho's football, for all of the positive things that I'm saying about um, an alternative method to football and, and what we're seeing a tiny bit of not a tiny bit of what we're seeing um, a sort of beginner's impression of under Ryan Mason. Um, I do think that a low block encounter is probably the better way to play against Leeds essentially. And and that's why um, we had such an easy time last time around. Um, So it is a slightly scary one because, because whereas for the rest of the season um, we have been too reactive to the opposition. um, I think there's a, fairly decent chance that going into this game that we will be too proactive and be too much about us and too much about learning how to pass the ball around in training again rather than thinking about hang on the leads are actually going to offer us something very different here than what we're used to from other sides and we need to specifically prepare for the way that they are going to press us and they are the way that they're going to move the ball
2: how then do you expect ryan mason to put the team out tactically this time around
3: um, I, well, I expect to see a four-two-three-one. I expect to see a high defensive line and relatively high pressing um, in a probably in a four-four-two kind of shape. Um, I expect us to move the ball relatively slowly out of the back, waiting for opportunities. Um, I expect combination play um, and and smart movement from attacking players.
2: Last time we talked about the, the Spurs game, I was quite nervous about how Spurs could potentially cause Leeds a lot of problems by playing quite direct football and sort of naturally pulling apart their man marking system. That's something we've seen Oligan Asolschard do. We see we saw Frank Lampard do it as well. Um, a couple of managers who aren't particularly well known for their um, you know in depth structural attacking play. Um, and there's been teams this season who've caused us problems in just sort of getting hold of the ball, trying to move it quickly. Um, it probably didn't play out that way last last time, as I was thinking it might do. Do you think we might see a little bit more of that under Ryan Mason, given that he hasn't had a huge amount of time to, as you've said, develop more structured attacking play?
3: Well, I think that that's that's the direction he's been going so far is to develop structured play, um, and and I do question how suitable that is to play against Leeds. I mean, I would, definitely wouldn't rule out the possibility that like we'll come into this game with a a specified game plan to, you know, shell it long in behind every time we win the ball and and disrupt leads that way it just seems a little unlikely based on what we've done and tried to do so far. Um so I do have some I do have some fears coming into this game. But I guess probably I'm at a stage where I'd rather see us try and fail to be a proactive football club than to just do what is necessary to win individual games.
2: Your fixture against Sheffield United saw Gareth Bale and Dali Alley in the starting eleven. Do you think this is how Spurs should have been setting up this season? Obviously, both players weren't always fully fit in those in that time period. But is this how you would have liked to seen Mourinho setting up Spurs?
3: Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Um, but the the Bale fitness one is an inch, is is kind of <laughs> absurd, right? He took half a season. He took over half a season to get fit, which I forgive him of completely because he's over thirty. He's had all of these strings of injuries. He's been out the Real Madrid side. Um, I'd, I'd lost patience by sort of december thinking well this is not this guy's not going to get fit he's not capable of getting match fit anymore and i'd written him off he finds match fitness in sort of late january early february hooray there's a party and um, we smash burnley to pieces because we have just like three dynamic super level attacking players in kane Son, and bale and it's okay maybe you know maybe Mourinho football is viable if you just have these three absurd attacking players and you don't need to have a plan because you have such great players who can just invent football off the top of the head time and time again. And then Bale puts in a four performance being an auxiliary right-back against Arsenal in the North London derby. And then we never see Bale again. (laughs) It's just like, it's absurd. It's completely absurd. Like, how do you... (laughs) Oh, what a ridiculous situation it is to look back on it now. So, like, yes, I think that we should have been seeing more of Bale delhi's fitness is more down to him not being played i think um and so it's just a complete creation of, of Mourinho's dislike falling out with him i think there's a case that like um Bale is is a is a bit of a flat track bully more you know more even more now than he was before and that like because of his lack of um stamina nowadays even though that used to be a huge strength for him in the past because of his lack of sort of maybe defensive discipline as a result of that that you can't play him against Arsenal. You can't play him against City, or at least you can't start him in those games. And perhaps also quite similarly, because of the intensity that Leeds create games to be at. Is that a sentence? (laughs) Um maybe you can't play Bale against Leeds. So um there's there's a there's a case maybe that we should be tentative with Bale in this game.
2: Um let's look at the sort of logistics then for, for Saturday. How are you looking injury wise at the moment?
3: I think Ben Davies is injured and that might be it um Lascelles took a stamp on the head but I think that that shouldn't be a problem for me uh, I have some worries over Kane's fitness. We are back to the ankle situation uh, trademark, which is that he had an ankle injury. Um, okay, he's played two games then. One of those was the League Cup final, but he looked a little off it against Sheffield United. Maybe, um, you know, um, a full week between games is enough rest for him at the moment, but I um, have some slight concerns that he's playing through a lack of fitness Um so that he could play in the Euros or just because he wants to play every league game that he possibly can anyway in and, and win the Golden Boot and do all those Harry Kane kind of things.
2: So if I could push you for a potential lineup on Saturday, what would you go with?
3: Uh, okay, so um Dyer and Aldavero as the centre backs, um Regulon and Aurier as the full backs, uh Hoibier probably alongside La Celso again, and I imagine that we won't see in start, but maybe we'll see him come off the bench. Um, a midfield three, uh, attacking midfield three of Sun on the left, Dele through the middle, and, mm, yeah, probably Bale again to start, and I think that that might be a slight misstep, but probably Bale again to start, because he just got a hat-trick, so how can you bench him? Um, And then we might have to adjust later on, and then Kane up top.
2: So which players do you think are going to have to perform well if Spurs are to beat Leeds?
3: Gareth Bale is going to have (laughs) to, um, you know, track Stuart Dallas back or whoever it is.
2: And at uh, the other side of the team sheet, which Leeds players worry you in particular?
3: Uh, well, I guess Phillips for his ability to to break our pressure. I mean, the thing with Leeds, as you well know, John, with this question <laughs> is that it's, it's the collective effort, isn't it? There's, no, there's not much point of, of pointing out individuals because it's, it's a threat that Leeds carry through their system. Um, and the, again the intensity and the pressure um, and the sort of different way of doing things that is scary about Leeds rather than one bloke
2: and I don't ever ask for predictions on this on this podcast but I, I am interested in how you expect the game to go on Saturday so how do you expect the ebb and flow of the game?
3: Mm, okay ebb and flow I think that um, I think that Leeds style might sort of scare us a little in the first half and it'll be a bit ropey for Spurs first half and then we might sort of settle into it and lead to Mike Tyre slightly second half and, and we'll grab the horns a little late on and, and try to either make a comeback or or get a victory out of a, a wobbly start
2: well Nathan it's always a pleasure to have you on what's the best way for our listeners to catch what you're putting out about Spurs
3: uh, I'm on Twitter at Nathan A Clark and the podcast is at the extra
2: inch cool well thank you so much for coming on today So that was Nathan Clark, podcast host of The Extra Inch. And he was talking about Spurs there. Let's kick off as we always do by asking what sort of ideas were percolating around in your head when you were listening to Nathan. We'll start with you, Tom Woodhead.
1: I was just wondering, uh, he mentioned that they press in a 4-4-2 sort of shape despite uh, playing uh, mostly in a four-two-three-one, um, one And I just wondered what that means for us um, in terms of our playing out from the back and, the, the, you know, will we have maybe Phillips or, or whoever's playing in that defensive midfield role dropping in to sort of make a three in possession or or will there be some other kind of um scheme that we'll use to get around that
2: yeah that's interesting i i didn't even thought of that but i guess yeah the 442 was i i suppose well the the 3313 was designed to sort of exploit spaces in the four four two, so it makes sense then that we would sort of make that shift so with with the defensive midfielder dropping in between and the two fullbacks pushing up and so you've got yeah I guess three at the back and then three in the middle to sort of able to sit in the spaces between the the, the four and then push a wide players forward and your striker as well.
1: I guess the thing that worries me about that is if we play this if we were to play the exact same lineup as against Brighton um the like that neither Roberts nor Click would sort of drop in um, to the space that Phillips or Cock has vacated, to uh, you know, to, to to provide that option as well, because I think that's been a, it's often been a problem when we've had Click playing in that um slightly more withdrawn eight position that he's not dropping deep often enough to take the ball. So uh, I think that could be a potential issue.
2: Yeah, I think a lot of this depends on how well we progress the ball through our own third. I think part of the problem against Brighton was that we were getting out, we were sort of initiating the first part of our build up fine. And the the issue is is that we we start losing the ball in the mid middle third rather than in the, the, the deeper third. So it's not as if we necessarily needed the two centre midfielders to be dropping in at this point. The the problem is, is that the the two eights are then sort of pushing into wide areas in advanced spaces because they're attempting to help build up in those areas and Brighton just pressed us to pieces in those in those spaces. So I I guess it will depend on whether or not Spurs are sort of sitting in a mid block and whether or not again they are going to press us in wide areas whether we're whether we're going to struggle to progress the ball um but yeah i i have i haven't actually watched ryan mason spurs in any sort of indicative game i did watch the carabao cup final which i don't think was particularly indicative so i'm I, I'm not entirely sure what they're what what sort of height they're pressing at. which i think maybe will will come into it quite quite importantly
1: i suppose i wasn't really thinking about the brighton game specifically more in general when a uh when Click has played in that position and we have had uh, the defensive midfielder dropping into the back line. I'm thinking about Burnley, maybe especially, although, although was, were we actually playing a back three in that game? I think Phillips ended up dropping in, didn't he, in that game as well? Yeah, yeah. So that was a similar sort of situation a lot of the time because I think Click was the deepest midfielder then um, and He wasn't coming deep enough in games like that, I guess I'm thinking of, rather than the Brighton game specifically. But uh, we did win that game, I guess, but it it wasn't the comfortable victory that we might have liked. So um, yeah, I I mean, I think there are lots of... This game feels like one where we could have a lot of different lineups. It's not one where we can just pick the team very easily, I don't think, because there are so many players who may or may not be injured and and we'll we'll get into all that later, I guess.
2: I'm always uh, interested in playing against flat. Midfield twos though, so if they do sort of press, I guess it'll be Deli Ali pushing forward into the two, and then, and then they have their double pivot of, I guess it's Hoybjerg and
0: Lo Celso, I think.
2: Oh, Lo Celso, they're playing there at the moment. Yeah, um, so if they're playing those two, and then there is there is space between the the front line of pressure and then the midfield pressure, um, it will be interesting to see what what happens for us because, like you say. In, in certain games, we do we have seen a sort of fairly flat midfield too, with both players dropping in depending on whose side the ball comes in the build up. So um, if we if we see that, then then it will be it will be I think it will be um, we'll be more likely to see us play that way if Phillips drops in between the the back two because you have to have your um, eights dropping in there. You need to have that the, the ability to build up in in the in, in that sort of space that we're talking about where the where the pivot is. But we do we do play a lot of games where. Um, we play with a single pivot, and then the single pivot ends up just sort of sitting in space that isn't really guarded by anyone, and they get pulled out a little bit by having to push forward onto the uh, onto the flat too. I guess we saw that against Brighton, to be honest, because Cock was often pushing forward quite a bit, um, and then and then dropping in in defensive phases. So um, that's certainly something to keep an eye out for. Tom Alderson, what about you? What was what was uh, going on in your head when you're listening to Nathan?
0: I was kind of thinking about. The sort of the role that Bale has to play in this game, because Nathan uh, picked Bale as his player that uh, needs to play well for Spurs to win, as he'll need to track back. But that's I think that was still making the assumption that Leeds are this very attacking team, which when you could argue that we're not anymore. Um, And he also mentioned that Bale's a bit of a flat track bully, and I think he's we scored his hat trick against Sheffield United, and I think his other games that he's done well were Burnley and Crystal Palace. So I was wondering. But my main thought was like, is Bale starting? Would that be an indicator of how Spurs are going to approach this game? Because like, does he see us, us as a, um, a team that Spurs need to sort of roll over? Or um, and if he starts, does he is he not as worried about our attacking threat? Or if he if he drops Bale on the back of a hat trick, um, does that mean that he thinks Leeds are going to come out and attack? So i was just wondering what you guys thought about Bale in this game.
2: Yeah, I put further down in the running order that Nathan seemed quite nervous about Leeds intensity. And I'm not entirely sure that we're going to be intense in the way that he's talking about. And I think he's thinking that if they try and do, you know, fairly intricate build up and then we come out with a high aggressive press, then it, it may be the case that we cause them problems. But I don't think that we're intense in that way. I think our pressing now, uh, I do think we do press quite intensely from the front, but I don't think our press is particularly effective at the moment in the front in, in the forward areas. Um so I I personally think that they should play Bale because I think Bale is the sort of player who will cause us problems defensively. Um so I don't know whether or not Ryan Mason will, will be thinking that way but um Tom did you have any thoughts on this?
1: I do think that in general caretaker managers especially ones that have been promoted from within uh the sort of youth setup or something of the club that already existed they do tend to um do the kinds of things that Nathan was talking about that um you know let's get back to playing the ball on the floor let's you know almost like you are co- coaching a youth team i guess like um you know let's get the players doing the things that they're naturally good at uh let's keep possession um keep the ball on the deck that kind of thing uh, it's, it's it's a different sort of situation but it almost reminds me a little bit of um when Darren Moore um took charge at West Brom a few seasons ago as a caretaker manager it was a similar sort of thing they seem to have this sort of um I guess it's an almost like a populist way of, of, of managing a football team in that you want to please the fans. You want to do things that the fans um, the fans hope or things that the fans see as good football, whatever that might be for the particular club. And it, and it varies by club. But Tottenham are a team that historically have always played um, sort of, you know, like champagne football. So... I suspect that that's partly why they've gone this way and obviously you you want to go against the manager that's just been sacked as well that's that's always going to be a natural sort of thing um, so yeah it, it wouldn't surprise me if he does play Bale and tries to it, it wouldn't be a good look for him would it if 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 he just set up like Mourinho would set up against Leeds even if that is probably the best way to play against his or certainly was at the time that they played against us last time I and mean, we we could argue that it might not be the best way to play against the current Leeds team but yeah I, I I doubt that he would I doubt he would sort of want to sully his reputation by playing really pragmatically against a, a team that's mid table.
2: Yeah I think this game is set up for us to be the more pragmatic of the two just on the basis of the way things have gone recently. Um, I have absolutely no idea what to expect from Spurs um, but I do think that they potentially could cause us quite a few problems and not because I think that they'll be particularly well drilled I think they'll be solid like Nathan said but they they have such good players that I think people may be slightly underrate because of the Mourinho decline the inevitable Mourinho decline um, that I think you know if they if they get going I mean they they comfortably rolled us over 3-0 playing Mourinho football and we just didn't really offer much so yeah, I'm kind of interested to see how this plays out. It, it could be another game where we sit sort of deep and try and hit on the on the break. A, a lot of that will come down to whether or not we've got Rafinha, I think, um, whether or not we can be successful in doing that. But um, in many respects, I sort of see this as being perhaps one of those games more akin to those games earlier on in the season where we were playing against teams like uh Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, uh, Ole Gunnar Manchester United and, and Frank Lampard's Chelsea. Um, I, I suspect that it's not going to be like the most technical build-up football, but there'll be an attacking intent. And if they can pull us around by being direct, I think they will cause us problems, um, which I think is the blueprint for how you beat Spurs. So um, I don't know if you guys have any any thoughts on this in terms of, uh, I, I, I don't know, I've got, it, I've got it written down on the running order that there's such an odd prospect at the moment in terms of it's hard to judge what, how good they were before and it's hard to judge how good they are now and probably the, the the reality is they're somewhere in between where we think they may be but how how do you feel about Spurs right now Tom Woodhead
1: it's funny that you said that the players are underrated and i definitely would agree about i don't i don't think the forward players are underrated i think everyone recognizes that son and kane and to you know everyone also recognizes that bale can be a world class player uh, you know if he's fit or if he, you know, if he's go, raring to go, uh, but yeah, I think you're probably right that um, the further back you go in that team, um, the worse they were being made to look by Mourinho's tactics in a way, especially in the deeper bits of the midfield because they weren't being allowed to do what they were good at in terms of uh, passing the ball and things like that. So. Yeah, um, but it's whether they've it's whether they've had enough time, as Nathan was saying, to really get their head around playing that other way or not. And, and like you, I haven't watched them. I didn't even watch the Carabao Cup final, so I've, I don't think I've literally seen a minute of um, of Ryan Mason Spurs. So I couldn't really tell you much more than that.
2: And in terms of underrating, I mean, I think we do we do rate like Kane and Son and and Bale. I I think. Possibly the way that we 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 kind of value them now is that they you know they're sort of players who can just cause things out of nowhere. Um, they're they're sort of moments players who you can just cr- create. And I guess what I what I think is maybe being undervalued is is their ability to be able to sort of fit into that kind of more intelligent system quite quickly and and start putting moves together between them. And I think that's what we'll we'll underrate. We we're so used to sort of watching teams who have just i mean i guess it, it's the same with manchester united at the moment although i think they are starting to cohere a little bit more recently but when you have so many good players on the pitch you you can't really underrate them because you know you'll get a bruno fernandes moment where he'll just score score or create out of nothing whereas i guess what i'm worried about is is spurs just being able to do some of the tactical things that cause us problems without necessarily us expecting them to do that um, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm really interested to see what happens in this game. Um, and I just have no re- real way of judging it. But Tom, Tom Alderson, do you have anything you wanted to add?
0: He's only been manager for the last two games, hasn't he? I watched the Carabao Cup final and I watched the Sheffield United match.
2: There was one before that, I think, against Southampton. They had a game before the Carabao Cup final. Oh,
0: there was, yeah. yeah. I, I watched a bit of that, actually. And like, having watched those games, I still don't really have a clue anyway. <laughs> you can't really... Well, the City game they got... Absolutely battered, one nil. If that's if that's possible, um, and then the Sheffield United, the Sheffield United, and they just like literally just let them do whatever they want. So I think even if and again against Southampton, I don't think Kane played. So it's literally impossible to know how good they're going to be and what if if they've got any sort of tactics or not. Or it's like Tom said that they're just trying to sort of get back to basics.
2: Kane as well being played while he's injured, and and so there's certain things like that where you just don't really know quite how how sharp they're going to be. I mean, Ali hasn't been played for most of the season, so his fitness has been up and down.
0: He didn't look great against Sheffield United either. I think he did one little bit, little skill, and that was all over Twitter. And I was like, he won a corner. That's all he won.
1: (laughs) I'm quite interested to see whether... um, Because Mourinho seems to have tried his best to turn Kane into a sort of Cristiano Ronaldo type figure where all he cares about is himself. uh, and And Mourinho seemed to think that this would make Kane a better player um and it may well have done or may well not but I'm interested to see whether Kane um stays that way or whether he he decides that uh, maybe I shouldn't keep playing when I'm injured all the time just so that I can get the golden boot because it it, it does seem that that is a a recent development in Kane's game he's always had a lot of injuries but he used to when he was injured just not play for a couple of months I think and it seems like now he always seems to be coming back too quickly Uh, maybe that's not true and maybe it's just um uh, my misreading of the situation from afar, but it it seems like he's been playing injured nearly all season.
2: I find this this aspect of, of his game kind of interesting, but I think this is a fairly standard thing, isn't it? As players playing with injury, um, you've got Marcus Rashford as well as a, a good example of that. And it, when you add that to the the sort of compression of fixtures and the lack of preseason, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then you you um you you sort of end up with this melting pot where players just very much become products rather than rather than uh workers right in that sense so it'll be it'll be be fascinating to see what what happens with with kane I, i yeah and and i guess and i guess ali um it's it's just so it's so hard to read anything in this game um the only thing that I've really got in terms of uh, tactics beyond that was uh, we've talked about them out there they're out of possession structure but in possession they'll be playing a four two three one which I've put is quite nice for our pressing system um, certainly because as we said before it does allow you to locate your defensive midfielder a little bit on the 10 and and I think we we played uh, fairly well against Manchester United. In a defensive sense, against a four-two-three-one, I think the the four-one-four-one just matches quite nicely against that that structure. So, um, I don't think there's anything really that deep to say about that. I don't know if either of you wanted to add anything to that.
1: I just wonder whether it helps the two players at the eight just as much as well. Like you've got, I think more than any other formation, you've almost got the two eights have a really clearly defined pressing role to do against the four-two-three-one because they've just both got one of the two deep men, um, and it. It feels like there's less uh, there's less room for doubt and less room for um, people making the wrong decision in terms of who to pick up maybe than in than in, against some of the formations.
2: Let's talk a little bit about the individuals in the system then, because I think we can start being a little bit more clear. I feel as though we've been very ephemeral so far in this podcast, (laughs) just sort of saying this could be the case and it it maybe won't be the case. But there are some certainties, or I suppose some certain uncertainties, because two of those uncertainties are Rafinha and Calvin Phillips. I I haven't heard anything on either of these two, but from what I've picked up from press conferences, both of them have hematomas, which I think is a fancy word for a dead leg. Rafinha has had a dead leg for a while now. I'd be surprised if he wasn't back.
1: Bielsa did go into quite a bit of detail about the hematoma and he, that, that Rafinha had in the last press conference. And he was basically saying um, that it's just one of those things that it could go tomorrow or it could go in a week or it could go in two weeks. It's really hard to predict. It, it doesn't It doesn't follow like any normal kind of... Um, it's not like you can give physio to get rid of a hematoma. He, he was saying, I think, it basically just... It will probably go soon, but I can't say that it is going to go soon.
2: I guess he's been out for a while, so there could be some, maybe some worry about his fitness, but I I, I wouldn't know. I presume he probably has been training, even even with a hematoma. Um, I don't know. But certainly doing some fitness stuff. But we've seen a few games now where we haven't had Rafinha, and we've struggled creatively. Again, I, I just don't want to ask sort of basic questions like, yeah, how much are we going to miss Rafinha? Because I think we all know that we'll miss Rafinha. But maybe the question to ask then is like, how do we deal with the lack of Rafinha? So I spent a bit of time yesterday in the video analysis of the Brighton game, just looking at two players who were used to replace him: uh, Stuart Dallas in the first half and uh, and Jan Pervader in the second. And you know, if I guess, if you could maybe, I don't know, get a combination of the two players, uh, Jan Pervader and Stuart Dallas, whatever monstrous portmanteau that would be, um, they might they might be a bit more um, effective overall. Um, it feels as though Jan Pavader is very good at the at the ball carrying stuff, but maybe lacks a little bit of uh game sense and and um efficiency and it uh, feels as though dallas just doesn't have the skill set really to excel in that position uh, in a bielsa team so um tom alderson what what do you what do you make of the the solution to the lack of rafinha if he's not playing
0: i think i would prefer a proper winger sort of like pervader or cost is costa injured or a
1: I think he advanced. had a back injury, didn't he?
0: Yeah, so it'd be, be, be Pervader for me. I don't think I'd want to see Dallas on the wing, which is a bit weird considering that it was his best position for years, and now it's probably the what, the, the last position you'd put him in the team. Perhaps maybe not centre back, maybe that was the, <laughs> the, the second to last one. So it's, yeah, I just put Pervader in, and especially because of the time of year and the fact that we're staying up, I'd rather just give the player like Pervader a go rather than try and put Dallas in.
2: I think it's again something I noted in in the video, but. That we've got a few players who are being forced to play through lack of depth. Um, I think of Ty- Tyler Roberts as well as a player who is being played regularly and people are expecting him to have the abilities and, and, and as I said before, game sense of of a senior pro and they're being basically asked to develop that on the job as they go and so I'm always a little bit reticent to, to sort of be too critical of young players like like Perveda and, and, and R- Roberts but I think a big part of development is getting them into the situations where they can learn how to read the game, how they can read space, how to exploit space. Um, there's a, there was a particularly egregious example of, of Jan Pervader where he did everything right, drifted inside. Um, click had created a big space in the Brighton centre-back line uh, that Robin Koch was running into, and rather than playing a fairly simple ball into that space, he turned back and went out wide again. It's just little things like that where you want to see um that those players developing the ability to recognize the 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 really important parts of games i think that's one of the hardest things about professional football is that you obviously have ebbs and flows of like importance that threat i guess is a good way of talking about it and really good professionals are able to recognize when they're in those really dangerous situations and do the most um incisive thing and i think both roberts and and um, Perveda are maybe a little bit guilty of, of not recognising those at the moment uh, but you need to give them I guess time as you've said Tom to, to be able to read the game read the things on the pitch as they as they can um, Tom Woodhead did you want to add anything on on the, the wing issue?
1: No I mean I, I definitely don't want to see Dallas on the wing again um, <laughs> so I guess I would play um, i I guess the only other two things I thought is it's is possible that Costa will be back I don't know how serious that back injury was and I'd probably play Costa um, if it came to it, if he was fit, and Rafinha wasn't. Um, and the other thing is, uh, might we look at trying Rodrigo wide right? Um, and I know he looked pretty awful up front in the last game, and I, I, you know, I might get a lot of stick for that, but I, I was saying in our group chat that it was shades of uh, Jean-Kevin Augustin um, in that game. Like He just looked really, really off the pace, but I do wonder if... He could do some of the creative things that Rafinha does coming in off the wing Um, and possibly his pressing responsibilities would be less intense than when he plays as one of the eights. He would have to track back more, but possibly not press as well, if that makes sense. Um, So I wouldn't mind seeing it. I mean, when I first watched some clips of him when we signed him, I thought he would be a really good fit for playing that sort of role that Pablo used to play on when he used to play on the right for us. Um, And I don't think many people... In the All starts that we group agreed with me, but I, um, I, 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 it would be something I wouldn't mind seeing anyway, especially in the situation we're in now, where we're looking, we're playing Stuart Dallas or a quite callow and frail looking Pervada on the wing. But that said, I do think there are things to like about Paveda and you know, if you're not going to play him at the end of the season um, when you've got nothing to play for essentially, and there's there's hardly anyone else to choose, when is he going to play?
2: I think the thing that complexifies this is the fact that
1: I think people will be more open to having players like Perveda
2: developed if it wasn't very clear that Bielsa is taking every game seriously. And and I think that maybe you know that sort of maybe makes things a little bit worse in, in terms of you you start, start getting into the mindset. Well, these players then have to be professional from the from the get go. Um, and I suppose the flip side to that coin is the the fact that when when we do play heavily youth sides in cup competitions it's just an absolute nightmare um, and so I suppose I suppose that we probably need to find some kind of happy medium right between between playing a young player but making it very clear that they have to be doing everything well from the start and then just throwing on all of our youth players and being like see they're not good enough so this is why we don't play them.
1: I suppose is never afraid to make a half-time substitute so I don't see why you couldn't for example have Paveda starting and then maybe coming off at half-time if he's not performing rather than you know the inverse which is what you has sometimes happened
2: yeah I guess that's what's so interesting about the fact that he was that Bielsa was happier to move Dallas from the position that he's been playing in well recently and put him out wide rather than start
1: I think that's definitely the most baffling decision that I've ever seen from Bielsa like it's the one that I've disagreed with the most that he's ever made putting Bielsa on the wing and uh, putting Bielsa on Bielsa the wing would the definitely wing would be, that be <laughs> <that one. laughs> um, but yeah uh, Dallas on the wing in that game I
2: think people have, have this sort of idea that Bielsa is some kind of paragon of youth development and I'm not entirely sure I agree with that um, I think he is very much uh, take every game seriously make sure you try and win every game and I think as a result of that it becomes very clear about who he trusts and who he doesn't in the youth system and um, jamie shackleton is a clear example of that right in that he's even when he's been given chances that you think that he's gonna become a regular um then then he just doesn't seem to make it, it was a, i i did um a, a sort of inverse interview for nathan for his podcast and one of the questions that their patrons asked was what, what do you make of jamie shackleton um and yeah it was kind of weird to to answer that question because you know we've just sort of taken for granted that he won't be played whereas there are people at other clubs around the country who are aware of his existence and think he's a good player and they can't understand why he's not being played so um, yeah I think this is another question for another day perhaps but um, let's talk about Calvin Phillips then again we don't really know what the situation with Phillips is I suspect Phillips will play Um, I I think it would be unlikely that he would be suffering from a long-term dead leg like Rafinha but we'll see Um, if Phillips doesn't play Robin Koch were we happy with how he played at the weekend?
1: I thought he played well, de- definitely out of position. I thought he looked very good. He was proactive. He was his positioning was spot on for me. Um, some of his passing was a bit poor. Like he, he may, especially, um, especially when he was under pressure and the players were there were players near him. Some of his short passing was a bit iffy. Um, he is a centre back, um, and I don't think I don't think he's a he's a particularly great passer in general. Um, he, he's good enough. Uh, I'd maybe you know put him on a par with Liam Cooper or someone like that in terms of his in terms of the technical quality of his passing, I guess, rather than anything else. Um, but I th- I think you know Bielsa talks about that position as being the third defender, doesn't he? Um, and I think in that sense, Cock uh, is possibly. Um, I think just because he's a bit more assertive than Strauch, I, I I think I possibly do prefer him in, from the little that I've seen in that position to Strauch.
0: I think Goss Cooper was suspended, so. Strauch wasn't really an option was he so that's why so with Cooper back at the weekend it'll be interesting to see if it's Strauch who he sees as like the deputy to that role or if it's Koch that he sees and um, because he's he has now got that option to choose between the two.
1: I suppose that would be a, a sort of elegant way of Bielsa sidestepping the question of whether he <laughs> wants to drop Strouk or not for Cooper would be to bring Cooper back in but then have Strauch move into midfield. Yeah one thing about Koch's passing I think
2: is that it's very it was very clear to me from the the game I think I think he passed fairly well I think there's a few poor examples um, but those examples were generally because he had to set himself in a way that wasn't comfortable before he hit the ball so the ball came to him quite quickly and he was under quite a lot of pressure from from opposition players Um, so I, I wonder one whether or not in training he's been under that much pressure but also too I think it's you know I think it's passing when the ball's controlled in front of him and he's got time to look up and, and make decisions is pretty good. Um, I think as soon as you put a player like that under pressure, they suddenly have to use a different skill set that they're not using before, which is, you know, making sure that you're... So th- there's one example I used in the video where um, the ball sort of comes back to back to him from, I think it was from, Dal- uh, no, maybe it was Roberts. Roberts, Roberts gets tackled and, and just pokes the ball back to him and Pascal Gross is... is closing him down quickly he has a fairly easy pass to to dallas on the one side and then he has a in fact it can't have been roberts who was tackled because he tried to pass the ball to roberts i can't remember it must have been click um but the ball comes to him quite quickly he has quite he only has a really short time to make up his mind and one of the things i noticed is that in terms of the way that he has set himself, he couldn't sort his feet out quickly enough. Um, so I just think, don't think he was anticipating the ball coming towards him uh, so quickly and having to make that decision so quickly. So I think there's little things like that where it's clearly it's clear that he's not used to playing that kind of position, and so he was he was just a little bit flat-footed. Um, and I suspect those sorts of things you can kind of iron out um, in, in training. But um, beyond that, I thought he was pretty good. Um, I, I was pretty pleased with them because I've I've watched him play midfield quite a bit for Freiburg, and I've also sort of saw him in the under 23s games when he was coming back to fitness, where he was being played there. And I didn't think he looked that great in terms of a lot of the time defensively. He can sometimes look a little bit flappy, uh, leaving his, his legs in. But I thought his position, his positional reading, as you said, Tom, is really good. And I think that's very important for, for that position. Um, and I think really important for centre backs too. Um, and I think he played Pretty well as a centre back as well when he dropped in, Um, and it's I I suppose it's 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 funny because you forget that he is a a sort of right sided centre back, and um, we haven't really had much of a chance to look at him since the beginning of the season, and we've had a different type of player who isn't particularly uh, positionally aware as well. In so it was quite nice to have that contrast. So yeah, I think I feel in in summary, I I sort of feel pretty confident now about both our centre back situation, but also our maybe our defensive midfield situation. I think we've got options you can play there. And uh, I am sure that we won't end up bringing in another defensive midfielder now because I think that Bielsa will just say, well, we've got Robin Koch, he can play there. Uh, and if Koch is playing, then we've got Pascal Strauch who can play there. So um, once again, we will... And Adam Forshaw. Yeah, once again, we will have plenty of square pegs filling round holes and uh, everyone will be happy. So...
1: Mourinho-shaped holes. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, you did touch there on Pascal Strouk. Um Liam Cooper obviously is available now after his red card suspension. Tom Alderson, do you think that Cooper's going to be straight back in?
0: Yeah, I think he'll put Cooper straight back in. Um, whether that involves Strauch going to midfield or going to the bench, I don't know. But yeah, I'd, I think he is still first choice at the moment. I think that the interesting will fit be over the summer, What, whether long-term is strike that will be like the starting left sided centre back next year or Cooper. But at the moment, I think as captain as well, I think Cooper will come back in.
2: Uh, any disagreement with that, Tom?
1: No, I think I tend to agree. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I don't think Cooper's done enough wrong in Bielsa's eyes to deserve not coming back in.
2: I guess that this then leaves us with the issue of of midfield. Um, so if we assume that that Dallas is playing there, the, the the other question is like, are we are we playing Roberts there? Are we playing Click there? Who played? Uh, on on the weekend as well who who is going to play in that in that other position or is it i guess it's possible we could play roberts and click but um tom woodhead have you got any thoughts on this
1: i think it'll probably be roberts I don't click wasn't great against brighton um he did a few things uh that remind you know one or two things that reminded him of the play as of the player he can be but um not enough to push his way into the sort of default starting lineup for me
2: yeah it's remarkable how Much of a drop-off there was between Bielsa saying that Click could play for any team in the world and (laughs) Click very much looking like he couldn't play for Leeds. But yeah, any disagreements on that, Tom?
0: I think I would go for Tyler Roberts. I would be quite interested to see Rodrigo in Dallas because I don't think we've seen that yet. Um, But I don't think we will see that. I think it'll be Tyler Roberts.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of people who seem to think that if you put a good pressing player next to Rodrigo then it sorts out all the problems which I don't agree with um, I mean that's assuming that Dallas is a good pressing player which I mean I don't disagree with but I don't think that he's quite as volumetrically pressy as people think that he is there seems to be this idea that if you have someone who's pressing twice as much as another person it sort of covers everyone but I, don't, I think this is part of the problem with the lead system is that as soon as you have a weak link especially at this elite level that link will be, will get exploited and everything will go through that position and uh, teams will think about which centre back they can put on that side so that he can get into space and, and get through um, so yeah I'm not convinced that, that Rodrigo's pressing is ever gonna sort itself out magically by just putting in an even more pressy player next to him.
0: The only thing that would make me want to perhaps see Rodrigo and Dallas is if Rafinha is out again because I think Rodrigo might just give us something that is kind of in missing with Rafinha out because there just doesn't seem to be any sort of way of creating chances and I think like Roberts is okay, but I think Rodrigo will just give that well, he's just that level he's the level above that he's like he's nearer to Rafinha, is he, in the stuff that he can do.
2: Yeah, I mean that's where where it's interesting that that Tom says that we could maybe play Rodrigo as as we played uh, Pablo in in the was it the second season of Bielsa?
1: It was most of the first season. Wasn't oh, first
2: season. It was the first
1: season, yeah and then at the start of the second
2: year. I guess the only difference that you would maybe see is that obviously now we're we're trying to play a lot more transitionally than we were then back then it was sort of we needed someone who was going to be able to just break down low line defenses and it was quite nice having Pablo sort of drifting in going wide and going yeah I guess being able to unpick um, Defenses and it wouldn't be quite the same way, but I don't whether or not a, a, a sort of transitional Rodrigo would work on that side. I don't know. Uh, I know that he's he's played in wide areas. Um, historically, he's never played his best football in those areas but he's certainly not playing anywhere near his best football for us in the attacking midfield um, role so it's certainly worth a try and I think the thing for me is that, that it's clear that the, the Rodrigo 9 experiment doesn't work and then there's only a few games a season where you can play him as, a, as the 8 um, I think where, where you're you're sort of playing against sides who are going to be quite open in midfield areas. So why not just try him out on the on the wide areas, especially in a game like against Brighton where he's on the bench and we're playing Stuart Dallas. Like what's what's the worst that can happen? We could have lost that game. Well we lost it anyway. So um but I'm sure Bielsa doesn't feel that way. So it's certainly worth maybe trying out. Um but I think we could talk about all of these sort of individual foibles until t- the cows come home. So let's talk a little bit, just one more about the general stuff. So
1: who do we think needs to play well against Spurs, Tom Woodhead? Harrison, I think, um, especially if we are in a position where Rafinha's out, I think Harrison was not good against Brighton. Um, I've said a few times in the past, I think Harrison tends to look better the more involved he is. I think he, he's a player that thrives on touching the ball a lot. So hopefully, I mean, who does who Spurs play at right back?
0: Aurier, I think.
1: Aurier, Yeah. So I don't know, I just think Harrison's uh Harrison's not had many good attacking games for a while so it would be nice for him to um put in a good attacking performance.
2: Tom Alderson, how about you?
0: Whoever ends up playing a hold midfield whether that's Calvin or Kork or Str- uh, Strouk, I think like what when we touched on earlier about them pressing in the 442, they'll have to sort of move about to sort of facilitate to facilitate the build up and I'd, I, the way I think that Spurs are going to just be attacking us for most of the game so i think they'll, just, they'll have to have a good game defensively as well
2: and uh how do you think the game's going to pan out tom
0: i just think it's going to be us kind of sitting deep and trying to hit them on the counter and i think it's just going to be spurs attacking us um and just tr- sort of like trying to find a way through and i think i just i think eventually that they will find a way through through one of like kane or son or bale um if we don't if we don't have rafinha playing I think we we are going to struggle to create anything on the break. So fingers crossed he's playing. But yeah, I think it will be us just trying to hit them on the break and then breaking us down late.
1: How about you, Tom Woodhead? I think it would be a bit silly of me to try and offer any kind of <laughs> informed opinion when I've just talked about how I've never watched Spurs <laughs> under this current manager. And uh, so I'll go along with what Tom says. And if he's wrong, you can blame him.
2: Well, there you have it. The uh, all Stars on Week Spurs preview. That is a game which is happening. I think it's an early kickoff, isn't it? 12.30. On, 12.30, yeah, yeah. Saturday. First of two early kickoffs. offs uh, We'll be back at some point this weekend with the review, probably on Sunday. If you like what we do and want more of it, then there is the Patreon channel, so do check that out. I've just put a video up looking at some of the tactical stuff from the Brighton game. So that's over www.patreon.com forward slash allstats, aren't we? I think that brings us to the very end of this podcast. So all all there is for me to do is to say thank you, Tom. Thank you. And thank you, Tom. Thank you. And we'll see you at the weekend.